Well, we come to Exodus chapter 12. Last week in chapter 11, God said one more plague or judgment, and it'll be against the firstborn. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. As a matter of fact, he will send you out um, quite dramatically out of the land of Egypt. Now, this final judgment, I guess called the 10th plague or the 10th judgment, which I really don't know if you would do that, but it's really the nine and the one. This one is completely unique. The people will not suffer because of Pharaoh's disobedience. They will all suffer individually for their own disobedience. And a matter of fact, if Pharaoh disobeys, but yet they believe in God, they believe in God's word, and they believe and act on what God tells them to do, even though they're an Egyptian, they will not be judged. Even though Pharaoh is still hard-hearted, they shall not be judged. So this is a very unique situation. And of course, this is a foreshadow of Jesus, right? The work of Christ, our lamb. Through his blood, we can escape the judgment we all rightly deserve, right? Through Christ being our Passover lamb. Wow. We're going to end this evening with taking communion, and, and uh, I think it's going to be a special night. Well, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month, we'll discover later, it's Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, of the year to you. So this is going to be such a moment in time that the calendar that you've been living by, throw it away. I am starting a new work that will affect your entire culture. It will reestablish a new beginning. Anybody ever needed a new beginning before? What about when we came to Christ? We all came to Christ looking for that new beginning. It is interesting that a new calendar was started after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? The, the old lunar calendar stopped and the Gregorian calendar began. And the whole dating system of the whole world to this day, it's the year 2023 because 2023 years ago, Jesus was born. It's pretty amazing that not just the nation of Israel, but the whole world was affected when the Lamb of God was slain in their calendar. So anyway, he goes on to say in verse 3, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth month, this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. Now, if the household is too small for the lamb, just two or three of you, let him go to his neighbor next to his house, take it according to the number of persons. Most likely that neighbor is also his relative. <laughs> it's also his brother. But 
uh, or a sister or sister-in-law, somebody, it's probably a relative. But nevertheless, go to the house according to the number of persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Notice in verse three, you're gonna do this for a lamb. Then he says in verse four, the lamb. But notice how verse five starts. Your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, the actual Hebrew word there, it, it's, it doesn't really distinguish. It's just a, a smaller animal. Um, it, it's in the neuter. It could be in the male. It, it doesn't really say it has to be a male goat, a male, goat, male lamb. Now, the reason we have problem with goats is simply because of one chapter in the entire Bible, Matthew 25, Right? where Jesus on the day of judgment separates the sheep from the goats. And in that analogy, goats are evil <clears throat> or the sinful, unrepentant man. And the sheep are those who have believed in him. So, but in the, in the cultures of this day, <clears throat> a lamb and a sheep were pretty much uh, in the same category. They were cousins, really, uh, just sort of a, a, small, a smaller animal that would be shepherded. Now, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Now, remember when this started, what day? 10th day, right? Back in verse 11, or verse 3, I mean. And now in verse 6, we're on the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So you go out and get the male goat or sheep in that category, and it's a, just a year old. So I guess it could be 11 months old or nine months old or three months old. It's, it's a sheep and, and you, you have to look and see if it has any blemishes. Now, sheep in the field, they get little scrapes, they get little bug bites, they get stuff caught in their fur. It's very, very difficult to, to find a, a lamb that you would consider without blemish. Now, it's interesting. You say, what does without blemish mean? Uh, it really depends on where you read. Um, and, and some places, it, it, it basically say, long as it's not blind or deaf or it's got three legs. And then other places, it talks about it um, being without spot or blemish or anything. But either way, it's really up to you. It's the attitude of the heart. You see, you found the best unblemished animal you could find. That, that's the point. I mean, doesn't really Christianity come back to the heart? You know, Jesus says to the Pharisees, oh, you're praying and praying, but you're praying to yourself <laughs> because your heart's so full of pride and self-righteousness. You know, the priests think, you got I'm not like that tax collector. Tax collectors, oh, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Which one left righteous? <laughs> and, and so again here, it, it wasn't to be as the Pharisees later on would do and turn it into some thousand page report of what, let me define what a blemish land it, lamb is, right? These people genuinely with their heart believed 
this is the best of the best that I have for God. And he gives us a sacrifice to him. Now, once you found it, you need, to, you need to start working on this. Now, what are the odds you're going to find it on that day? So I think this is sort of a minimum. <laughs> if you don't have it by the 10th, you better have one. Because it needs to be in your house for at least four days. I don't want you stressing on day number 13. I don't want your wife saying on day number 12, we got to get a sheep tomorrow, you know. And then on the 14th, you're all stressed out and going to everybody and everywhere. And finally, you're like, oh, this is going to have to count, even though it's not blemished. It's gonna, you know. No, it, it, do it in advance. Now, just to give you a spin on a well, well-known story, in many cases, I think these people got them very early on, weeks, months in advance and it would become into the house and of course with children depending on how small they are they can become pretty attached almost immediately right in four days you're very attached even as an adult those things are just so stinking cute right uh, had a I saw a thing the other day where the guy had his little lamb on his lap with a diaper and, uh, and the thing was just snuggling up, just, oh, snuggling up the little lamb. And I was like thinking, oh, so cute. Not the diaper part, but it was cute. But the story of David. Remember, he wouldn't repent. And Nathan, his good friend, the prophet, said, hey, there's this guy in Bethlehem. Now, that's near and dear to David's heart. That's his hometown. Probably a relative. And this poor guy, he's got really nothing to his name except one little lamb. And the rich guy across the street, who's got lots of them, had a friend come into town. He didn't want to use one of his own, so he went across the street and he grabbed that guy's lamb and he cooked it up for his friend. Now, according to the law, if you steal something, you've got to pay four times the amount back. So he's got to go give him four more sheep and you know, tell him what a cruddy thing to do. But David gives him the death penalty. He says, put that man to death. And of course, it's because his own heart's condemning him that he has such condemnation. And Nathan said, you're the man. You know, Uriah had one little lamb, one special thing in his life, an incredibly beautiful wife. I know what that's like. Oh, good, good, thank you. Oh, it's not going to work. Um, <laughs> and um, this guy, you know, you're David, you've already got 12 wives. You could have 12 more. You could have a harem of hundreds if you want. But yet you, 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 you did, you know. And David said, yes, I've sinned. But many commentators actually say that the sheep he got was not that the sheep was this guy's pet, but that this guy not having a lot of money, had to work on getting a sheep months in advance to have, to take, to sacrifice. So the lamb to him was far more than just a lamb living in his house. It was something that he couldn't replace, most likely being a poor man, to find another sheep that would be without blemish. Most likely he got a sheep with some kind of blemish and then nurtured it out of it over a period of months. Um, and brought it to be a lamb without spot 
But either way, it had to be something. And then on that 14th day at twilight, there's a moment where it's God's, the sun goes down and you can still see, but it's dark. It's not so dark that you can't see, but the sun is down, right? You guys, especially here on the Pacific Ocean, it's one of the best things to do is go stand on the ocean and, and see it. And do you, you guys all know if you, if you catch the sun just right when you're looking at it, there's a green flare right before it disappears into the water? How many of you guys knew that? Yeah? Well, those of you not here, go, go back and uh, you know, go to the sunset tomorrow night and see if you can see that. It's pretty cool. But at that moment, you got to understand what this would look like. You've got millions of Jews there at this moment in Egypt, and then we don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of Egyptians believed. But you had all of these Hebrews standing outside. The whole families are outside. They got the barbecuer going already. Everybody's got, been working on the barbecuer for quite a while. They got it nice and hot and ready. And everybody at once sort of looks over at his neighbor, looks at that neighbor, and everybody at once, the kids come around, they all put their hands on the head of the sheep and slits the throat. Dad grabs it up by the back feet and lets the blood drain. Everybody jumps back, but everybody gets splattered to some degree. And of course, the kids are crying. They're devastated. They're like, why? Why should this happen? Why? He was such a good little sheep. We loved him. He was no problem. We kept, we took care of him. Why is this? There was a piercing and even a parent you know, killing such a creature, knowing it's breaking the heart of the children and even their hearts. It's a, it's, it's a hard thing to do. It makes dad look pretty mean and brutal. But yet as he looks, the crying of all the lambs, ah, ah, thousands, millions of them maybe, hundreds of thousands. There's maybe about two to three million people. Later we're going to see in numbers when they came out, there's about 600 thousand men 20 years old and above who could fight in battle so then you you do the math you're looking at millions of people but home you know homes i I don't know maybe that's 600,000 homes or somewhere in there too but all of these lambs at one moment their throats are cut all the lambs at one moment blood being poured out all over the nation everybody's backyard pretty much filled up with blood. There's a lot of blood. And then they begin to prepare it. And then as they cut it and get it ready, and, and then everybody begins to barbecue at once. It's, it's pretty magnificent when just one neighbor out of hundreds of houses is barbecuing. It's like, oh, I'm going to walk outside. Oh, man, I can, oh, can you smell that? Oh, that smells so good. Imagine if every neighbor in your entire neighborhood was barbecuing a lot of meat at one time, not just a little hamburger, but I mean a whole lamb at one time. Smoke everywhere, the smell of barbecue everywhere. It would have been a pretty phenomenal thing. And of course, the unbelieving Egyptians, they know what's going on, don't they? And maybe some of even the stubborn Israelites who didn't believe 
possibly. And they're just affected by this smoke and this smell. And it's, you know, Pharaoh standing up, looking out over his kingdom, would have saw this very great sight taking place. So this is going to begin their calendar now, a new religious calendar. So later on, I'm not going to get into it now, but there actually is a couple of different calendars um, that Israel had. But nevertheless, um, you can research that out if you want and look at the Israeli or the Jewish calendar. It's, it's a, a bit complicated when you're trying to do a lunar month, but at the same time trying to keep the pattern of the dates. You, you basically have to fudge pretty regularly. <laughs> you got to add an extra month every so many years, or you got to add five days to several months. And they've, they tried it different ways. It never was an easy thing to do. But nevertheless, I think that was part of God's plan as well, them having to try to fight to keep the calendar that God set up. It wasn't an easy thing to do. And so each household, and if they weren't big enough, they had to share with another household, and it had to be a lamb without blemish. And of course, in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we know this, don't we? That you were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, and then, of course, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So when they would lay their hands on the sheep, it was a transference of their sins onto the lamb who would be the substitute to die in their place. And we know from Hebrews uh, and looking through the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Well, in verse 7 here, and they shall take some of the blood and put it into the two doorposts, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh. On that night, roasted in fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with the water, but roasted in the fire, its head with its legs and its entrails, the whole thing. And shall, you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, quickly, for it is the Lord's Passover. So first of all, we're going to get more details as time goes on about this. But God actually says to get the basin by the front door. Typically, people had a basin to wash your feet before you would go in the house. Now, some other people think it might be a different basin. Either way, it's a big bowl, uh, pretty good size enough for feet to get in. And you would put the blood. So when the lamb is, is being bled out, you put some of the blood, didn't have to be a lot really, but some of the blood into that basin. And at some point, you take the blood 
and you put it in front of the door. So let's say the pulpit here is the door. You put it down in the middle of the door and it'll tell us you get a hyssop branch. So I, I think it's sort of what they used as a broom, you know, to brush things off, sort of probably gathered together like a third world broom, if you've seen them. But it's a hyssop branch. And they would put it into the blood and then you take it first to the top of the door. Now what's going to happen when you get a bunch of that blood and you whoosh, take it to the top? Yep, you're going to get a stripe right down the middle of that door, aren't you? And then when you got it up there, now again, you go back, dip some more, and you go to the side. And you dip some more, and you go to the other side. I feel like a Catholic priest here. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I wonder if that's where the Catholics originally got it before they corrupted it, but it's possible. But nevertheless, what you get out of that is the cross, right? The shape of cross. Now, what do we know about blood? <laughs> it stains. So when you go in, when you come out, your house is going to be permanently known <laughs> by the stain on the door. And of course, that makes John 10, you know, even more to us where Jesus says, I am the door. Nobody comes in or goes out except through me. And so again, it's through the cross of Christ. And so this is an important part. So you, you might say, for example, man, yeah, we had such a good barbecue, a barbecue, we all had this great meal. And, um, you know, me and my wife talked about it and it, it just, we felt so silly about putting some blood into the, the bowl and putting it on our door and and we just couldn't do that. I mean, I, I I hope I hope God gets the idea, but we we didn't do that. Would that have worked? You had to do it all, didn't you? And you had to act in faith, as James says, faith without works is dead. And in this particular point. They had to have the blood applied. If the blood wasn't applied to the home, they would die. The firstborn of animal and child would die. And so they're to eat the flesh that night, and they're to eat also unleavened bread, as we learn later. That's no sin. They take the bread out, that's leaven representing sin. They had unleavened, and we're going to learn this next week. There's actually seven days of unleavened bread that precede the Passover. So you get all the leaven out of your house, and they make a lot of fun in the Jewish community with that. But then also with bitter herbs, and of course they say it's because to remember when you're in bondage, when you're in slavery, when you're without a Redeemer, before you believed in a Redeemer, Life was hard. As the proverb says, the way of the sinner is hard, harsh. Sin makes life hard. Never eat it raw, never eat it boiled. But it's got to be roasted in fire. Every part of it, none of it uh, gets thrown out. Every bit of it gets burned up 
if not eaten. And, and you can't hold on to it till morning. You can't say, hey, let's save some of this and have it with our eggs in the morning for breakfast. Um, or you can't say, yeah, we, none of us really hungry. We ate a little bit and we're going to eat it tomorrow night. Um, it'll be really good tomorrow night. We're keeping it simmering overnight in the, on the barbecue. Nope, can't be done. Now, again, he had said earlier, do it with enough people, about the right amount of people for the size of the lamb and the lamb. And again, it's a baby lamb, so it's not real big. So, you know, I think people could eat pretty much all they wanted. You know, I think that was sort of the idea. You're really eating a lot. You know, it's not everybody gets a tiny little portion of meat. Everybody's getting a lot of meat. And some, they get the unleavened bread and dip it in the horseradish and have their bitter herbs with it. And they're eating it with some lamb and, you know, good Atkins diet, right? Um, And whatever you don't eat, it's completely burned up. And so the other thing, when you eat it, you don't have your comfortable clothes on. You got your hiking clothes on. You got the clothes on that you're going to use when you're going out to work. So you've got your belt on. You even have your staff in your hand while you're eating. So I think that made it a little awkward with the dad, right? He's got the staff and leaning it over and trying to eat it with the staff uh, right next to him. But he said, actually, hold it in your hand. So maybe the dad held it in his hand the whole time he's eating it. And so you've got the belt around your waist. You've got the sandals on your feet in the house, I guess, right? Which would be very unusual. He's just saying, the moment this happens, you apply the blood on the door. You go and you eat of the lamb. You eat it all. You take it all in. Whatever you don't eat, you burn up. Nothing's left in the morning. Because the moment you do that, you're delivered. You need to be ready in that moment for your deliverance. Your deliverance isn't going to come in a day or two later. It's coming at the moment of the Passover. So you need to be ready to get out of bondage. And then he says, all the guys are like this, eat it quickly, eat it in haste. How many of you guys like to eat quick? Pig out. Unfortunately, I got in that habit in college and have never gotten out of it. But then he says something very unusual at the end. He says, this is the Lord's Passover. Wow. He's making it clear here that this is not something you're doing, you're creating. It's about what you want, when you want, how you want it. It's not about what it means to you even. It's about what it means to God. What is God doing? This is the way he is doing it. This is the way he wants you to do it, exactly like this. And so don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't make it seem like, oh, well, in our house, we don't like to eat bitter herbs. We like to use a little sweet sauce also. <laughs> oh, in our house, you know, we, 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 I know we're not supposed to eat leaven, but, you know, my wife makes the best bread. So, uh, you know, we have a little regular bread. We have leaven too. I mean, we, nobody eats it really, but we have some unleavened bread there too. Would that work? No, this is the Lord's Passover. Every part of it is making a statement. And therefore, it's got to be according to God's word by faith. Listen to what it says in Hebrews eleven twenty eight. By faith, he, referring to Moses, 
kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, Moses did this. The Lord's Passover, number one, it's a rescue to deliver Israel from the plague of the firstborn. It's an institution that God's ordaining to remember his rescue, his deliverance from Israel and for every generation to go back to that point in time when the calendar started and what God did. It's, it's a powerful drama acting out, of course, the perfect sacrifice that would be brought through Jesus Christ later on. John the Baptist got it right in John 1.29 when he saw Jesus coming. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What, what other passages in the Bible did John the Baptist have? As a young boy, he's out in the desert eating locusts and, and bugs and, and finding scraps of material and making that his clothes and, and finding little pieces of leather that came off a saddle and making that his belt. And, and you know, never gets his hair cut, never, you know, doesn't have special shampoo or anything. He's out there living as a desert rat, but yet God's speaking to him. And no doubt, that Passover, he got it. This is the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah to bring us a lamb. His Passover, his lamb. Here it is, the lamb of God who takes away, not covers the sin, as in the Old Testament, takes away the sin of the world. In John 19, 14, interesting, Pilate, he didn't get it, but he was being used of God. He comes out as they're preparing. Remember, you're getting your lamb ready. Soon as the sun sets, you, you have your sacrifice. They're just about ready to cut the throats of these lambs. Everybody's pretty much heading home. And, and, and this moment is going to happen where they all got to be ready, but yet they want to see what's going to happen to Jesus first. So as the preparation day of the Passover, on that day, about the sixth hour, around noontime, he, that's Pilate now, said to the Jews, behold your king. Remember in Revelation 5, when John sees Jesus, he sees him as a lamb, as though he had been slain, and as of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king and the sacrifice. That's how we're going to see Jesus throughout eternity. And of course, Paul just says it so nonchalantly, like this is just common knowledge. I don't need to teach on this because it's so obvious, we don't need to teach on it. Everybody just immediately connects the dots. He says in verse Corinthians 5, 7, 5, 7, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Amen. Well, in verse 12 and 13, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of man and of beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. He's been saying that along the way, but here he says it very profoundly. And then he says, 
I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I am Yahweh, or we would say in the New Testament, Jesus. I'm Jesus, Yahshua, God, your salvation. I am the Lord, your God, your salvation, your redeemer. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. Ah, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood applied, right, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Whether you're an Israelite or an Egyptian, if you will listen to God's word, believe God's word, act on God's word, it's important. Can't just know about it and agree with it intellectually. You've got to do it, right? Then you will not suffer the consequences of judgment that should come on you. And then verse 14, so this day shall be to your memorial and you shall keep it as the feast to the Lord through your generations. Listen, you shall keep it as a feast by the everlasting ordinance. Wow, this is a moment. Later, remember in Genesis, they put rocks up to remember God spoke to me here, Abraham and Jacob and so forth. He's basically saying the same thing. This is a memorial, but it's gonna be on a calendar and it's gonna be the beginning of your year. This is how it's gonna be. And it's to every generation, your children, 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 children. And then he says something really crazy. You shall keep it as a feast for, as an everlasting ordinance. Everlasting ordinance. Wow. So in essence, Passover never ends. A matter of fact, as you read the book of Revelation, the married supper of the lamb, I think we're going to have communion up there with Jesus in heaven. <laughs> I think that's the first thing we do is sit down and have Passover with Jesus. We celebrate as we look at Jesus at the end of the table, the lamb as though he had been slain, a lion of the tribe of Judah. And there the scars on his hands, his brow and his side. And he breaks the unleavened bread. He passes the plate as we celebrate this moment in time. Now in heaven, completed. Anybody ready to do that right now? Let's just scream loud as we can, come Lord Jesus. No, we're not gonna do that. Uh, but it's a good idea. So as we end here, Jesus is our Passover land. Connect the dots. Number one, Jesus lived and bonded with the human family before he became a sacrifice for all. Two, Jesus um, was appropriate. His blood is appropriated to each home nationally for the whole world, for the community of the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. Jesus, the Passover lamb, was spotless, perfect. No stain, any sin, any moral, any spiritual imperfection, perfect. The blood of Jesus was actually the blood of Jesus <laughs> that was poured out. And his blood, actual blood, this is part of the main reasons he had to come into human flesh, that his blood, he would bleed for us, that we could be forgiven. In his death, Jesus touched with fire. That is the fire of God's judgment upon him. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? 
because he received the bitter cup of God's judgment. And the work of Jesus has received fully upon the cross. He had nothing left. When he breathed his last, they were shocked. It had only been six hours. Often people last for days. But yet he died so quickly, having been beaten so severely. But I also think the stress of the sin of the whole world coming upon him. I think the stress of that and the broken relationship with the Father over our sin, it literally broke his heart. And when they pierced him, that's what it showed. Water and blood coming out, showing that his heart gave out on him. And then at dawn, the moment we believe, the dawn comes, right? And we have that deliverance, that freedom. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and 26, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. This is at the Passover meal with his apostles. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is the manna and this unleavened bread is representing his body broken. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup in the new covenant. We'll learn about this more next week. But, and this is representing my blood, the new covenant in my blood. Paul explains this in detail in the book of Hebrews. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Or I think a better way of translating that as a memorial. Instead of saying as a remembrance of me, as the memorial, as going back and obeying Exodus 12. Yes, the details, the information, the profoundness, the the reality of that is going to become greater and greater and greater. And right now we see in part, we know in part, and often when people take communion, they eat the bread, they drink the Do you enjoy communion today? I took communion. We took communion? I didn't even know. I don't even remember taking communion. The reality of it hasn't really impressed us as much. But I tell you, when we're in heaven with Jesus, the full reality, when we see him, we'll know even as we are known. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And now he says, you're not limited to once a year. (laughs) That we now can take Passover as often as we want. And each time, it's a memorial. It's, if you would, a new start. You see, communion, we call it the Passover, the memorial Passover meal, uh, sort of an abbreviated portion of it, is real. Non-Christians shouldn't do it. It could endanger them. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. So it's in his own conscience, at his own heart. For he who eats and drinks it in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This is reality. It may look like a piece of bread and a little bit of juice, and there's no reality in it. He's saying, big reality. 
And for this reason, many, referring to Christians, not non-Christians, are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Christians have died like Ananias and Sapphira died because they took communion in an unworthy manner, repeatedly. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Like Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think they went to hell, they went to heaven. But the reason he ended their lives was to make a note of you don't lie to God, you don't lie to the Holy Spirit about the giving. But nevertheless here, I think the most unworthy way is not in faith. That which is not of faith is sin. Now, does it mean I need to be holy? Oh, well, now that I think about it, this has been a really rough, sinful week. I better not take communion. I don't want to get sick. No. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't think that's the issue. I think that if you're being flippant, in other words, you know, you're here taking communion on Sunday and sometime this week you're planning on going to a party where you're going to take drugs and get high and get drunk and, and you know, and, and, you know, I'd say, well, that's, that's, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you as you're checking your own heart, I, that's something I would be concerned about because it seems like you're being flippant about this. He, it wasn't with gold or silver or some vain thing that uh, we are saved but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. But he says, I'll tell you on the one side of the coin, those who have been unworthy have gotten weak rather than strengthened, sick rather than healed, and died rather than being rejuvenated, renewed. So if, the, if it's true on the one side of the coin, why can't the other be true on the other side of the coin? If we take it in a worthy manner, by faith, where we truly are thankful, Christ, that you paid for my sins and died on the cross. And, and I, I, I'm taking this moment in time to memorialize once again that it's only through your cross that I'm saved. And it's, you've asked me personally to take up a cross and follow you. It's a genuine moment in time with the breaking of the bread then instead of being weak, then communion could actually strengthen us. Instead of getting sick, it could actually heal us. And instead of dying, we could actually be rejuvenated. And that's why I think he says, do it as often as you will, as often as you need that that newness, that regeneration, the outpouring of God's spirit. Do it as often as you will. And then he says that you're not going to be judged with the world, but God sure can spank you now (laughs) because communion is a memorial to God's children of Abraham, whether they're Jews or those who are adopted into his household. This is no small thing. It's It's not a thing like you do it, you don't do it, no big deal. No, you do it. And it needs to be a big deal when we do it.